Yeah, it's my privilege to open up the word with you today. And it's from Romans chapter 1, verses 7 to 15. We're going to show that soon. But I'm going to start this morning with a question. And one of the great things about Zoom is you can ask a question and then mute everyone and they don't get the answer. But my question is this. What's more important, the North Pole or the South Pole? What is more important, the North Pole or the South Pole? And the answer is, that's a dirty rotten question, Carl, because they are both important, the North Pole and the South Pole. It's important not to squish those two things together. They're not enemies. They're not the same, but they're not enemies. And it's the, the message today is about maintaining the poles, maintaining the polarities. There's uh, two sets of things that were not the same, but they are not enemies. They complement each other. So let's open up the scripture. Romans 1, 7 to 15. And Warren, if you can display that for us, please. Romans 1, starting at verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith, which is being proclaimed all over the world. God, whom I serve with my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness, how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times, asking that now at last, by God's will, I may, be, I may succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, how often I plan to come to you, but have been present, prevented from visiting until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel, also to you who are in Rome. So two poles, two poles. The Christian faith is one and at the same time, two things. It's local and it's translocal. It's local and it's translocal. It's local to all in Rome, verse 7 and 15. So Romans is written to a church at Rome, a place and a time in the first century, probably around AD 56 or 57, to Rome. Rome had particular strengths and issues. At that time, in the first century, it was called two things. It was called the glorious crowning achievement of mankind. It was an impressive city. Also, it was called the sewer of the universe. It was a big city, and it had lots of big city problems. The church in Rome, there were a large number of Gentiles who were non-Jewish believers there, but also some Jewish believers. Many, 10 years earlier, had been expelled by the Emperor Claudius from Rome, but there are still some Jewish believers there. 
and there are cultural and doctrinal differences in that church, Jews and non-Jews, educated and uneducated. Churches are local. They are in a specific place and time. Revelation is a letter to seven churches in the geographical region, uh, present-day Turkey. Revelation starts with seven distinct messages to those, those churches in chapters two and three. And not one of those messages is exactly the same. They're, they're all different. They, all those churches had different uh, strengths and challenges at that time. When we were missionaries in West Africa, one of the worst disagreements in church was to do with a sheep's head. We would barbecue a sheep at Easter time. And there were two guys in church who both thought that uh, they should have the sheep's head. Uh, one had been there the longest, one was the eldest person. Uh, it was a raging, raging debate and argument in our church at that time. Now, we, we haven't had that problem at Wainui Beach Church yet. Churches are local. Every church in the world is slightly different, has particular character about it and history, and that's wonderful. Every church has its own vibe, but there is a danger in this. Churches can go past being local to being tribal, tribal in a negative sense, where like a, a wall goes around them and there is something that is fixed and proud in a negative way. It's like over, overly aggressive locals at a surf spot, you know, the, the local locals only crew. Nah, you know, sure, visitors need to be uh, uh, polite and acknowledge those who reside in the area, the ahika, but localism can go too far and, and go right into tribalism. The book of Jonah in the Bible has four chapters. And it's funny that the action seems to finish after chapter three. And then we have this chapter four. It's almost like it's anticlimax. And it has Jonah sitting under a vine that God had provided, being grumpy with God. But is chapter four the anticlimax? Or is it the climax? Another question in the book of Jonah is, is what is that important animal in the book of Jonah? It starts with W, the, the worm, actually. Not the whale, the worm. The whale, it shows God's love. But the worm shows something about Jonah's heart. And in chapter 4, God says to Jonah, says, you are more concerned about that vine and that worm that killed your vine than about 120,000 people that I was concerned about that were in total moral darkness. And the reason is tribalism. They were not Jonah's people, that 120,000 people. He didn't care about them all that much. There are dangers in, in tribalism, in, in a local church becoming tribal. But a local church can be such a powerful tool of God. Local church can make sense of a context. Our tiny little church in West Africa was amongst a people group called the Fulani people. They were 99% Muslim. They came from a, a million people. Fulani's made up a million people 
of that country and are almost entirely from a Muslim background. And so um, the few believers, as we met, the way we would do it, we'd um, sit on mats on the ground, not pews. Uh, the men and women would sit separately. Uh, we wouldn't have instruments. Muslim people uh, think instruments are, are satanic. Um, we'd speak in the Fufuri language. And uh, I remember one time we got this um, visit of this lady. She came with our houseworker, and she she came to church, and she would just keep turning her head, looking from side to side, and smiling, smiling. She was just like overjoyed. And we talked to our our friend, our houseworker, and I said, "What what's with this lady? Her name was Mariana." And she, and uh, we learned her story. She had had a divine revelation of God. God had appeared. Jesus had appeared in a house, in a hut. Um, she said it was brighter than a kerosene lamp. And uh, she came to faith. She tried to go to a, a local church, a big um, AOG church. She couldn't. It was full of other, other people. She, um, she knew of no other people from her tribe. In fact, she said, I used to think I was the only Fulani in the world that believed in Jesus. And so when she turned up at our local church, it made sense to her. She just was overjoyed. The local church is so powerful. I remember a guy uh, in our church, Craig, who's a friend of Sean's, our big wave surfer. i never come to church. I think he's in his 30s. Never been to church in his life except for funeral and weddings. Um, came to faith. And um, and turned up to church, and uh, Sean had told us he's probably going to church, come to church one day. And uh, so I asked him afterwards. I said, "What? What do you think? Was it what you thought it would be?" He said, "I had no idea. I didn't. I did not know what to expect. I'd never ever been to church." And I said, "Well, how did you feel?" And he said, "Well, it felt like I had come home." You see, local church can be so powerful, can be powerfully used by God. So the church is at one pole, local, but at the other pole, it is translocal. Translocal. The Roman church was having an impact outside its borders. Verse 8, the faith was being reported all over the world. Now that's hyperbole. That is deliberate. Uh, exaggeration. What does that mean? All over the world. It means the known world. And in that part, it was the Mediterranean. All, all over the Roman world, the Roman church, the church at Rome, there was, there was gossip going on about this church. People were talking about it. We saw last week that Paul had this desire that a Roman church would continue to have a translocal impact, meaning from Rome, Paul wanted the faith to go west, right out to Spain, on the far western frontier of the Roman Empire. The church is local and translocal at the same time. It's meaningful to, to our people here, but it also is missional, reaching out to people over there. Because Christian faith is something that is alive and active. The natural consequence of that 
is expansion and growth. Mark uh, 4, Gospel of Mark 4, has the parable that Jesus told of the good seed. And not every seed produced a crop. There was a satanic interference with some of it. There was distractions. There was shallowness of soil that stopped much growth. But the good soil, the seed that fell in the good soil, the good hearts produced 30, 60, 100 times what that seed had dropped in there. Exponential growth. And don't be surprised if that happens. Don't try and contain it or suppress growth that God is producing. That happens sometimes. Paul says he feels obligated to the growth and spread of the gospel to all sorts of people, not just one tribe, but to the Jews and the Greeks. Hang on. This is to the Romans, Italians. What's this about Greeks? Verse 14. Historically, what had happened was the shift in the super, uh, superpower status from the Greeks, you know, like Alexander the Great, to the Roman Empire. And so the Romans had become the caretakers of Greek culture. Greek was still culturally dominant in the area for many, many years. It was the language of the area. New Testament was written in Greek, for instance. Verse 11, I want to impart to you a spiritual gift to make you strong. As you saw last week, Paul wanted to help strengthen the church at Rome, not just for their benefit, but partly for the desire that Rome, the church at Rome would be a base for expansion right out to the west, translocal. Like local, there is a danger, there's a danger, but uh, in translocal, even, even the global nature of the faith. And that danger is that translocal can be, become a bit franchisey, can be, become a little bit like a, a, a spiritual McDonald's. So the answer there is that we adapt to the context. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I've come like the Jews to win the Jews, and to other groups I've become like them, so as to save some of them. The exciting thing of translocal is mission. We can go there too. We can reach them too. They're not like us, that doesn't matter. Jesus loves them too, and he wants to reach them too. So local and translocal, two ends of the pole, South Pole and North Pole, but different, but they're not enemies. They complement each other. The second set of the two poles, North and South, um, second, second set of polarities is this. It is plural and personal, plural and personal. We've had local and translocal. Now we're going to look at plural and personal. Plural first. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Saints. Not saint, but saints. Plural. The saints. There is 67, I believe, uh, uses of the word saints in the, in the New Testament. And only one is it saint. Singular. The way we use that word these days is almost an entirely opposite. We say so-and-so, such-and-such a person is a saint. But the Bible use of saint is not about behavior. It's about status. 
the saints are there by the grace and calling of God to be the people of God, and it's almost always plural. Verse 11 and 12, I want to impart a gift, that is, be mutually encouraged. I want to be mutually encouraged. I encourage you, you encourage me. It's like Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Plural. As we meet together, one of the things it does is encourage others. The challenge of meeting together is the way that it is done is not always aligned to our personal preferences. Big church may not be our preference, or small church may not be our preference, or rich church, or poor church, or brown church, or white church, or green church, uh, long church, or short church, uh, morning church, or night church, uh, YouTube church, or Zoom church. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, doesn't it? But you know, uh, when we acknowledge the plural, we say the church is bigger than my personal preferences. It's bigger than that. And you know that you being here today encourages, just you being here today encourages others. Your presence here today encourages others. Heard of this wonderful old couple in Auckland in, in this church, and it was a mostly young people church, and uh, quite loud and vibrant and, and, and loud and vibrant worship, and they didn't actually like that. But they loved the... Uh, the life there. They love the faith there. They love the young people. And so what they would do is they would bring earplugs. And they would put in earplugs and go up to the front with the young people and worship with them. It wasn't about their preference. It was about the plural. And they loved the young people. And the young people loved them. Like the other two, there is a danger in the plural at that end of the pole, and it is conformity because the plural is about the many and, and not the one. There is temptation to, to, to try and please the many or try and do things people think will please the many. We say things to appear on the exterior that's very different from what is on the interior of us. So the key is to know we want to bless the saints, encourage the saints, but not try and perform or conform to impress the saints. Our audience is always the audience of one, even when we are together. Plural. On the other end of the pole, and it's not an enemy, it's just complementary, the other end of the pole of plural is personal. They're not opponents, but they're not the same. Despite the faith being about the plural, the saints, it, it's also very personal. Verse 8, Paul says, I thank my God. Uh, verse 9, it says, some versions say, uh, in my spirit, some versions say, in my heart, I serve God in my spirit. I, I serve God with all my heart. Verse 10, in my prayers, I pray for a way that I may come to you. Verse 11. I long to see you. Verse 14, I'm obligated to preach. Verse 15, and eager to do so. What 
motivated Paul was a huge heart of gratitude to Jesus. As the theologian Karl Barth said last century, uh, the thing that goes together with grace is gratitude. Grace and gratitude go together like heaven and earth. I remember um, she was Tani's mum when I was a school teacher, when I was training a school teacher, and she was a kapahaka tutor, uh, but not a very happy one. She, she was kind of over it. She'd done it for decades, and she didn't want to do it. Um, but I was at this intermediate, and she says, oh, I'm going to be doing kapahaka again. And uh, she said, because Margaret, the principal, she's asked me to do it. And she is such a wonderful person. I would do anything for her. It is something about gratitude that produces power. And this is what this is what grace is. This is what grace produces. It produces gratitude. It's the most natural thing. And a natural thing in Paul. That out of a heart of personal gratitude to Jesus, what Jesus had done for him. Jesus had revealed himself to him, forgiven him for his persecution of the church, changed the direction of his life totally. And it made sense biblically and theologically. But that, that was not what drove him. It was a passion of a lover of his soul, Jesus, that drove Paul, called him out of darkness into the light, made him new. It was personal. Personal. Uh, when I was 18, I, I was a bit, bit on the lost side, I have to say. I just I wanted to chase a, a level ball around the paddock, wanted to chase waves, wanted to chase experiences. And then it, I started to think, is this all there is to life? Is this it? I was bewildered in my wholehearted pursuit of pleasure. Um, why was I feeling this emptiness now? And then at the age of 18, I had this encounter with, with Jesus, and then it made everything new. It's like the grass was green all, all of a sudden. The, the sky was blue. I was just so grateful. And I could give you a biblical basis on good theology and, and ecclesiology about the church and missiology, but actually what drives me is I'm so grateful to Jesus that he's called me, he's showed himself to me, he's changed me, and i I'm driven by a huge heart of gratitude to him. I'm so grateful. And, you know, if you don't have that, that personal connection to Jesus, you can today. You can ask him to meet you, and he will. And if you've had it and lost it, ask again. Say, I want to I get in touch with you again, Jesus. And um, tell someone. Tell someone at the church here if you want to do that. Bless you today. As you meet in your rooms today, we're going to ask you which of the four parts of those two poles spoke to you? Uh, plural or personal, local, translocal, and why? Why is that speaking to you today? The, the Word of God is living and active. Why is that speaking to you today? The Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you. Okay, have a good time in your rooms today, and then we'll have worship after.